Another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Kaledi. I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded live, live from New York. We're at the Legal Week. Uh, we're returning. We haven't been here since 2019. I'm going to keep saying that because I'm excited to be back in the Big Apple. And I have a wonderful guest lineup joining us. And they're uh, FSS. And that's another thing you're going to hear a lot of fresh from session. So uh, everybody did a wonderful job presenting, and it was about the federal rules of civil procedure. I bet you'd never thought you'd hear about that again, but it has come up because I had no idea there was so much that went into updating the federal rules. So does anybody have the official presentation name from Legal Week? The forthcoming proposed changes to the federal rules of civil procedure, a strategic update. All right. That's about as exciting as the federal rules of civil procedure. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, but a very, <laughs> very, very uh, important set of series of rules, obviously, to, uh, to manage discourse in this country and disagreements and things like that. And so anyway, let me introduce the guests, go around here. And so, Robert, I'm going to start with you off to uh, left. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you work? What do you do? I'm Robert Levy. I'm executive counsel at ExxonMobil. I've been there for... 15 years, and prior to that, I was in private practice, and I focus on civil justice reform initiatives and trying to advocate to help improve the rules, change the rules that govern courts in both state and federal settings. And I also advise on information governance, records management, and data privacy, as well as some cybersecurity and e-discovery. Okay, Jeff. I'm Jeff McKenna. I'm an e-discovery and privacy attorney in Oryx San Francisco office, really focusing on complex litigation and the privacy and discovery issues that come up in that, especially cross-border managed. All right, Wendy. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Wendy Curtis. Welcome back, by the way. Thank you so much. I think what's most interesting for this conversation is I've had the privilege of working with Jeff and Robert through LCJ, which is Lawyers for Civil Justice, an organization of law firms and corporations advocating for changes into the federal rules. And we've worked on a series of proposed amendments to the federal rules of civil procedure around privacy and cybersecurity. And it's been a true pleasure, gentlemen, to work with you on this. And I also chair the eDiscovery Practice Group at ORC. All right, Chris. I am humbled by these three. <laughs> uh, but my name is Chris Hurlibus. I'm a principal technologist at Microsoft been in the compliance and data security space for about 20 years now. So I work on the technology side of the rules, helping uh, platforms uh, govern data and protect data from cyber intrusion and privacy risks. Well, thank you all. You guys gave me a new appreciation for the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, which is obviously a hard class in law school, uh, for me at least. Uh, a, lot, a lot of like little intricacies and very complex and a lot of dates and uh, you know, timing to kind of to keep in mind. And so, but. Uh, I didn't realize it took so much to make a change to those rules. And so I think before we get into these suggested updates, I'd like to learn a little bit more about how we go about updating the federal rules of civil procedure. So I'm not sure who to direct that question to. Well, I can give you a brief overview. So currently under the Rules Enabling Act, which was an act passed by Congress, the federal judiciary has the power to set and change their rules. And the way that process works is there are five advisory committees that sit under the judicial conference, the advisory committee on civil rules, on evidence, on bankruptcy rules, on criminal rules, and on appellate rules. And each of those advisory committees are composed of 
typically judges and federal court judges, also state court judges, law professors, and lawyers who are active in the um, space. And then also the Department of Justice generally has a, a seat at all of those tables. And anyone can submit a proposal to the advisory committee to amend the relevant rules. So it can be submitted by a law professor or by a judge or by a member of the public or a member of Congress can send a proposal to the advisory committee to amend a current rule or propose an entirely new rule. And then once that happens, the advisory committee will look at it and discuss it. They might have a conference about it and then they'll draft up a proposed rule as well as advisory committee notes that will then be sent to the standing committee which will decide whether to publish that proposed rule. Once it's published, the members of the public are informed it's published in the Federal Register just like uh, administrative rulemaking and anyone can comment on the rule. Um, there's a six-month period. Often they'll hold hearings on the proposal as well and then the committee will then take that in input and decide whether to go forward with the rule as proposed or revise it to reflect the comments and generally they'll, they can revise it um, and then if they do they'll send it to the standing committee again that will decide whether to proceed and if they agree it goes to the judicial conference which is composed of the chief judges of all the federal appellate courts and then if they agree it goes to the Supreme Court which is the final stop and the Supreme Court if it approves the proposed rule will then send it to Congress. Congress will have six months to decide whether to do nothing in which case the rule goes into effect on December 1. If they um, don't like the rule both houses will have to pass a resolution to reject the rule and or they can adopt something that will end up having to go to the president to sign as legislation but generally speaking Congress does not act and the rule goes into effect so that whole process can take up to and sometimes over five years to go all those stages it's a long process wow I thought the DMV had red tape <laughs> Well, that's amazing. So five years, and obviously I think we're overdue. And I think what's um, just one of the things that I've kind of noticed uh, recently is just that the technology pace changes so quickly these days. It seems like with every iteration, every new uh, you know, release of technology, the, the cycle for it increases. So by the time you get used to it, it changes even faster. And so I think obviously we're probably overdue. And you all were having a pretty healthy discussion about that. And so I guess let's turn that chapter a little bit. So what are some of the areas recently becoming kind of causing some friction because the FRCP is just not updated enough? Well, currently the federal rules don't really mention privacy and don't mention cybersecurity at all. And to your point, I mean, the world has changed quite a bit over the last 10, 20 years in this regard. We wear watches that track our health and collect data on us. There's tons of location data on us. There's social media data, search queries, home assistance. All of these things are keeping and tracking data about us. And this data is making its way into litigation, of course. And so the, the current rules don't really address that issue. 
All right, so what are some of the proposals, the proposed rules that you all are suggesting? So what, what areas are we dealing with then? Well, what we're trying to do with this proposal is to inject the concept of privacy and information security and embed it into the rules. And so we've proposed changes to a number of rules where discovery takes place, where parties um, talk to each other, where courts um, deal with protection of information. And we want this issue to be really deeply part of the entire process. We start with rule one, which is the rule that's the bedrock rule that talks about the um, duty of the courts and the parties to pursue just, speedy, and efficient resolution of justice. And we want to add to that that also to address and ensure that the protection of privacy and information security is also paramount. And then throughout the both the discovery process all the way through the trial process, the rules that impact those stages will be amended to require everyone to be thinking about privacy and information security importantly not only for the parties that are in the case but also for third parties the individuals employees consumers other entities whose data is impacted that are not there at at the trial that are not there um, before the judge that their rights need to be considered and addressed and I just want to add one thing. Um, so when we talk about what we are advocating for, Jeff, Robert, and I, and, and Microsoft are all members of Lawyers for Civil Justice, which, as we mentioned, is a defense bar organization. Also, as Robert mentioned, this is a transparent process where all the voices are important and heard. And so we're advocating um, and are all commonly positioned as um, from the defense bar. But there are others who have other opinions, and we encourage all the listeners to access the um, Rules Committee website, right, Robert? And that's where you can find what's been posted so far. Right, and at lfcj.com. And the other piece that we talked about on the panel today, which I thought was one of the most exciting that we talked about when we were preparing, is that we really hope that those who listened to this and came to our panel think of this as a call to action and an opportunity to participate in the rulemaking process. And although I know five years may seem like a long time, the amount of deliberation and thought and the opportunity for people to participate is very important. And then we talked a lot about how, unlike other portions of the rules or other rule changes that we've all been involved in, those rule changes focused on parties to litigation. The intent and the policy behind these changes are for all citizens. It's the idea of protecting our privacy and the recognition that cybersecurity is a huge consideration. I don't know if you all were thinking about this at the end of the panel, but we were talking about how in many ways to date, we as litigants or parties on either side reach agreements under a protective order from a position of trust. But the reality is as much as I may, if Robert is the opposing party, I may trust you anyone can be vulnerable to cyber attacks. And so it's not enough just to trust the other side, but to have this deliberate um, matrix and thought process and what do you ask for and what are the pros and cons of asking for that information. And I might kick it back over to my great co-panelists, Jeff and Robert, because I thought you did a lovely job in talking about that risk matrix approach. Yeah, well, we really would like to include in the federal rules some of the things that have become common now in the privacy and cybersecurity area, like the concept of data minimization, weighing the potential infringement of individual privacy rights, also taking sort of a risk-based analysis of, you know, what are the trade-offs, how much information is needed, 
versus how relevant it is and what else can be done to protect it like redaction, synonymization, or anonymization, those sorts of things. And the, the issue that really brings this home to me is my experience in working on cases where we were required to produce some of the most sensitive data that our company has. And it's produced in a case involving a potential transaction. And that data is provided to individual lawyers, some of whom are um, wonderful people, but they are solo practitioners who do not have the capability or the experience to uh, ensure that the data is protected. And you know, for us to be able to argue that maybe we should look at different ways to do it, um, host it on a secure platform, those types of options now today you can make that suggestion but there's no mechanism in the rules or process to really make your case and and ask for relief and we think that the rules should be addressing that and then the other element is we're involved in cases and most companies are involving various issues where very sensitive personal information involving employees, other employees, and um, customers and consumers, as I mentioned. And all of that data can be required to be produced in discovery, and yet there's no clear mechanism or even a duty to ensure that that data is protected. And the question is asked, as Jeff points out, that maybe we shouldn't require that to be produced unless the value of it is really that significant that it's going to impact the outcome of the case. um, Today, that's not a factor in the proportionality analysis. So we can make the argument, but the court generally is not going to entertain it. But if we're able to say that the rules require the judge to be careful and considerate of privacy rights, then it gives us a basis to argue that that discovery, while important, should not take place in this case. All right, my last question for you, filing deadlines. So we have 14 days, 21 days, 28 days, and 30 days. Uh, Asking for a friend, can we get that done just one? Can we just do 28 (laughs) days? Can we compromise on that? Well, you know, when you talk about that um, in terms of the rules, just like I mentioned before, people come up and they make proposals to change the rules about things like filing deadlines, they want consistency, they point out and there are issues and and inconsistencies in the rules and so proposals have been submitted on that. Um, Similarly, there's a proposal that the advisory committee is looking at dealing with how service of process takes place and this was, uh, you know, somebody came up with the idea, sent it in and the committee decided to look at it. So what I suggest to you is submit your suggestion to the Civil Rules Advisory Committee, and they'll take a look at it. Do you guys have any forms here? <laughs> no? No. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. And, you know, if, if some of our listeners out there, they are attorneys, they want to get involved, what, what's the best way to reach you? Well, I would encourage you to go to LFCJ, Lawyers for Civil Justice, um, lfcj.com, and it's got this proposal there and other rules proposals that are being considered. And reach out to Alex Dahl, who is the general counsel, or Dan Steen, the um, executive director, and they'd love to get everyone involved in this. And um, there are great opportunities, and um, both in terms of adding public views to the advisory committee or to be involved in, in various meetings and activities and helping to 
define this process and, and advance it and hopefully carry it forward. All right. Well, Robert, Jeff, Wendy, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Best Yet, your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, I'm Lawrence Coletti, and you've been listening to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.